Homestyle Green, episode 58, Collaborative Construction with James L. Salmon. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. I'm the host of the show, Matthew Cutler-Welsh, and this is the podcast for people who want to build a better place to live. Now, I'm going to get stuck pretty much straight into today's interview because I had a great catch up a couple of weeks ago now with James L. Salmon. Now, James is the founder and president of Collaborative Construction Resources, and I was I was reflecting on just how great the internet is that I was speaking at five o'clock in the morning with an attorney in Ohio. Now, why was I doing that? Well, James will explain why that is relevant. His experience is relevant to and interesting to some of the things that we discuss about on this show Um, because he is all about collaborative construction and he's come to that place from basically the opposite end of the spectrum where he's, he's spent a long time uh, making money out of disputes during the construction process. So quite a lot of learning there. I um, hope you find that interesting. Now, before I do press play and get stuck into that, just a quick update. Uh, obviously, last week had a great catch-up with Lois Easton, and she mentioned the um, – well, we talked all about the Building a Better New Zealand conference that's coming up in September. Um, the reason I wanted to bring that – episode out then was the due dates for submissions of abstract is the 9th of March. So if you're interested in speaking at that event or being part of that conversation, do head on over to Build a Better New Zealand, buildingabetternewzealand.co.nz and all the information is there on how to um, submit an abstract. Um, the other upcoming events uh, around the place, uh, one in particular, EcoFest is coming up next month in well, end of yeah, mid mid March through to April, and I've got a couple of going to have a couple of interviews with some people uh, involved with EcoFest, so look out for those. I'm excited to talk a little bit about some events that are happening locally. Um, something else that's happening locally here in Auckland, of course, is the end of the next round of submissions, public submissions for the unitary plan. Now there's some really interesting stuff in the unitary plan. Now this might not be your thing submitting on a on a plan, but it is quite a it's a big document and it could mean big things for Auckland, big sustainable things for Auckland. So if that sounds at all interesting, I do encourage you to head on over to the Auckland website. You can't really miss uh they've got lots of uh, links there to the unitary plan and where you can go and have your say and make a submission. That closes on the 28th of February. So you do need to be in pretty quick and pretty snappy if you do want to have your say um, on this final round of public consultation on the big unitary plan for Auckland. There's some lots of stuff in there about houses and about sustainable buildings. So get stuck into that if you can. Um, I'm off tomorrow to Palmerston North, looking forward to that, uh, going to have a meeting and speak at a ADNZ uh, local meeting, that's the Architectural Designers of New Zealand, uh, their local branch down there. Really looking forward to getting out to one of the, one of the small regions, because we, we often spend a lot of time in, here in Auckland, maybe Christchurch, Wellington, 
but there's a lot of really cool stuff going on out in the region. So really looking forward to that, uh, getting out and about. I haven't done too much of that this year, but I do really enjoy any chance to go and speak to interesting audiences. So if you are interested in getting a speaker or having um, some some conversation around sustainable building and um, think that that might be useful for, for yourself or your organisation, then let me know. Uh, might might be able to hook something up to come along and speak. That's enough for me now. I'm going to get into this interview and I'll catch you after the conversation with James L. Salmon. Today I'm very pleased to be speaking with James Salmon. How are you, James? I'm good. How are you, Matthew? I am well. Now we're on different sides of the the world here you're you're coming to us from ohio is that correct that's correct and how how are things there how's did you get hit by uh storms and crazy weather yes uh it's been around nine below and uh our river almost froze for the first time since the 1970s yeah i'm really looking looking for some global warming yeah yeah now Let's get stuck into what you do because you've got some very interesting insights into the building industry around the world. Can you give us a brief introduction to yourself and including why you do what you do? Sure. Um, My background is as an attorney. I spent 20 years litigating failed construction projects of every stripe. About 10 years ago, I launched a company called Collaborative Construction. And I launched it in large part because I ran the idea of forming integrated teams and delivering uh, a new legal service to clients up the flagpole at my old law firm. And the idea was to form a new practice group that would bring our owner clients, institutional owners who consumed large quantities of planning, design, and construction services into the room with the constructors and the trade contractors, many of whom we represented, and the developers and designers. We also represented a lot of architects and engineers. And the idea was to form a new practice group that would help those clients form an integrated team and craft and draft a legal instrument that would put them all on the same page and allow them to uh, virtually construct a facility before they ever stuck a shovel in the ground and do so in accordance with a legal instrument that they had all signed that aligned their interests as best those interests could be aligned and encouraged a significant level of collaboration. And the upshot of that was that uh, there were a number of lawyers in the firm who uh, perceived that process to be taking the golden goose that is litigation out behind the barn and chopping its head off. Yeah, if no one fights each other, then there's going to be no lawyers involved. Exactly. (laughs) So after running that up the flagpole two years in a row, I decided that I would just go and launch my own company and do it myself. And so I did and had uh, some limited success early on Uh, because what I didn't understand at the time was that there are a lot of, I should have 
realize this with the reaction of the lawyers, but there are a lot of vested interests in the built industry that depend on uh, waste and inefficiency. That's in fact, really interesting. So, well, I mean, what you're saying is not just your colleagues in the law sector, but the whole industry actually, in some level, opposes collaboration. Absolutely, because our traditional delivery model, design, bid, build, uh, creates a broken built culture where we can't collaborate well. What that design bid build contract does, or the series of contracts that the parties sign in order to deliver planning, design, and construction services to an institutional owner, uh, and this breaks down all the way to a custom home builder level, you know, for a mm. for a home builder. Um, when we fragment our team and we place them in these silos, each entity has a uh, personalized vested economic interest in a very narrow sliver or scope of the project. And you get paid by delivering that scope of work. And any additional effort that goes into collaboration or cooperation with some other entity is not compensated mm. under that contract. And so you therefore have no incentive to collaborate or cooperate outside the scope of your agreement. And so there's that problem. Yep. Then separately, we have the, the significant amount of waste and inefficiency that's built into the construction process. And that's, it's not just construction, it's planning, it's design, it's construction, and it's ultimately operations and maintenance. And when you talk to the lean experts, the lean process advocates and academics who have studied the Toyota way and the lean processes that have been brought into the manufacturing sector, they will tell you that the built industry wastes something on the order of 30 to 50% in their processes across the is that across the whole board in the construction industry yeah across the board in the whole construction industry it averages around 30 to 50 percent waste and those waste factors are are you know mult there are multiple multitudes of ways we waste yeah we waste uh labor we waste materials we waste uh and you know human capital i mean we got people sitting around on the job waiting on an answer to this question, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And the reality of the industry is that there are any number of business models that depend for that, that generate profits off of the waste and inefficiency. That's how they make their money. Can you give us, a, can you give us an example of one of those? Well, um, I, I'll give you a, a professional example and I'll give you a trade example. Um, law firms uh, or architectural firms both have the same basic pyramid scheme when it comes to their business model. They have uh, rainmakers at the top who are schmoozing with the people who deliver the work to the firm, whether it be law firms or architectural firms. They get the work in the door and then they pass that work off to the guys at the bottom of the pyramid, the worker bees, who do the work. And if you 
sign an agreement for a fixed fee, then your worker bees have no incentive to deliver higher quality. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of waste and inefficiency associated with poor quality that comes to the fore in that scenario in your design process or even in your legal services. Right. Um, any, any professional organization that has this pyramid scheme will operate this way. Conversely, if you sign an hourly fee agreement, now there's an incentive for the worker bees to churn the file. And there's waste and inefficiency built into that process as well. So in neither scenario is the professional organization being uh, retained to deliver and specifically to deliver value. They're being retained on a fixed fee or in some other manner that encourages waste and inefficiency. A lot of yeah. a lot of people that are probably listening to this are, are even smaller than that, probably one man operations in the in the design building or their their clients of those people who are doing some research because they want a, a better home. How does that? How do people in in at that sort of scale? How do they um, break out of that mentality and and contribute to making a more efficient overall process? Well. The smaller, more nimble firms are the ones that ought to be embracing BIM with a vengeance. This building information modeling service. Um, essentially, for those who don't know, BIM is a uh, 3D virtual digital representation of the physical characteristics of a facility. Mm-hmm. And it's delivered on the basis of information that's stored in relational databases. So what happens is it gives you the ability to very quickly uh, modify a design and stretch things and contract things and make a lot of different assessments. And what's happening, what I've observed in the design arena is that there were a lot of Um, BIM-enabled young architects and engineers who were let go in the economic downturn by the bigger firms. Yeah. And they've all gone out and started their own practices. And they're now uh, beating their bigger counterparts at this game because they're leveraging these uh, virtual planning and design tools, these software tools and processes to make themselves more efficient and to deliver that uh, added value proposition to an owner mm. so much more effectively than they were able to do back in the old pyramid-based uh, design firm environment. Yeah. Is BIM realistic for individual the individual house market in the near future absolutely um i have a number of uh custom home building uh general contracting clients that uh, will only work with designers who are bim enabled Um, they want to have that bim template of their basic home if you think about the repeat pattern 
of a custom home. It looks like a custom home because the outside changes and there are a few tweaks that are made. Yeah. But really the custom home builder has four or five uh, sets of drawings that clients choose from. Uh, there's no reason those can't be turned into electronic virtual uh, documents of BIM. Yeah. And there's no reason that owners can't take a virtual tour of that home and make adjustments uh, on the fly in, in a BIM uh, environment. And, so I, it's and, a and you might have just touched advantage. it. So you might have just touched on, on one of the, the key advantages to the consumer, the end customer there. Uh, tell us about the this ability to take a virtual tour. Well, one of the things that has always uh, caused the owner, whether you're talking about an institutional owner that is uh, not capable of engaging very effectively with the design team, or an individual homeowner who's, you know, seeking to purchase a home from a home builder, the design documents in 2D that architects and engineers produce are not intuitive at all. Yeah. Um, it's very hard for someone who's not uh, trained in the review and analysis of 2D drawings to understand what the elevation is and what the other side of the building would look like and all those kinds of things. And although architects often produce, you know, a, a, a rendering that gives you a, a, an idea of what you're looking at. Um, Usually from the best possible angle and the best possible light conditions. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it, and it doesn't uh, get at, you know, for institutional clients, especially like hospital owners and uh, casino owners, you know, I explain to those guys all the time, you want to be able to virtually walk through your facility because you want to identify the ways in which you're going to improve your operations. Um, and the same thing is true for a homeowner. Yeah. Um, you know, you should be able to you know, make sure that you, you, you understand the layout and the orientation of the laundry room to where the kids rooms are. And, you know, how's that, you know, how's that laundry flow going to yep. work? Yeah. You know, are you a family that has, you know, a, a relationship with your kids that ensures that they're going to, you know, march it all downstairs and bring it there or sort it or whatever, or, do you want a laundry chute that delivers it all into one basket? Yeah. Uh, you know, different people have different uh, ways of doing things. And the beauty of BIM and this virtual process is that it empowers the homeowner to uh, engage with the design team in a much more uh, sophisticated conversation than they could ever have when things were in 2D. And then it's probably even more important, though, that you have the opportunity to have the designer engage in a, in a conversation with the constructor and the trade contractors who are actually going to have to put things together. Um, you can design, you know, as a architect, architects design all kinds of really cool features. Yep. Which 
no trade contractor can affordably deliver. Right. Um, you know, you might have the slickest laundry chute of all, but if, you know, things are getting hung up in it on the way down and it's stopped up after three weeks, nobody can use it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that those kinds of things, this, you know, what I say to clients all the time is let's build it virtually first and then let's make sure we have all these train wrecks with respect to what can and can't be done, what systems are clashing with what. Let's have those train wrecks now rather than in the field. It's so much cheaper to move it on the computer screen than it is to jackhammer out the concrete and uh, blowtorch the steel and adjust it in the field. Now, I'm pleased you poured out um, cost there. Um, and I can see from a conceptual point of view that definitely easy to make changes earlier on the project and really fun to be able to walk through your own building and, and have a look at how, how the laundry works. But that getting to that point sounds expensive to have that 3D model um, made and available. Is that the case? Is that expensive to, to get to that point earlier than people would normally spend money? Um. The price of the virtual planning and design tools has been plummeting. Uh, I got into this because, you know, 15 years ago, I represented clients who were involved in major failed construction projects. And simultaneously, I was involved in uh, litigating products liability claims where a product had failed and uh, you needed to bring the story to the jury in a way that they understood it. And I was struck by the fact that I could almost always get a very good animation of a product failure from some very sophisticated engineering firms that had some very good software tools that allowed them to animate the failure of the trailer hitch, or we could even animate a fire. I had a fire science group that animated a fire for me one time. Right. But in the construction industry, everything was 2D drawings. The construction right. industry right. had not begun to use these uh, virtual tools yet. And so what happened was the defense industry and manufacturing industries spent billions of dollars figuring out how to f crash a airplane on the computer screen instead of having to put Chuck Yeager in the cockpit yeah. and let him go crash it. And now with the information revolution and the extraordinary advances in hardware and software tools, we now have the ability to pull up something like SketchUp for free in Google yeah. and outline, you know, a plan for any number of capital projects. Yeah. Now, if you want to get a certified engineering approved or architecturally stamped drawings, you've got to hire a professional and go through that process. But these tools and processes are so much more advanced at such reduced prices that it is, it's frankly a bit shocking. Um, and the irony is 
that in the built industry, our architects and our engineers are just now beginning to realize the value of these tools. And when you compare it to the gaming industry, the online mm, gaming industry, yeah. for example, there is such a contrast. Yep. My oldest daughter just graduated from Rochester Institute of Technology, and she's going to work for Toyota. And she has a chemical engineering degree, and she you know, was around engineers of all kinds at Rochester. And I took her with me to a seminar where the uh, presenters were showing off the latest and greatest from Autodesk and Bentley and ArchiCAD and yeah. all these amazing software tools. And as we were leaving, I commented to her, you know, I said, wow, wasn't that just the most amazing thing you've ever seen? And she rolls her eyes at me and says, dad, that was lame. <laughs> <laughs> She says, these guys, the guys that we're working with, that, that I am in school with, they've got, they've got their World of Warcraft game yeah. going yeah. where somebody gets shot and they bleed on the leaves and the leaves blow down the alley and somebody else will find the bloody leaf, you know, later yeah, in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is just not, you know, I know you think that you're onto something here, but... <laughs> Get with the game, Dad. Yeah, exactly. And now I think the in fairness to uh, the built industry, um, we are not uh, able to raise millions of dollars uh, to develop and improve software that virtually plans and designs buildings because it's just not as exciting as World of Warcraft. <laughs> And you're not going to sell millions and millions of copies of the the, the software to gamers. Um, you're going to sell a few uh, packages to the design industry, and there's just not the same. Econ the economics are completely different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the bottom line is that the cost continues to drop, and the hardware and the software continues to improve. And that stuff is all available now. So, and we talked about this just before we before we come in here that the um about the culture is probably one of the biggest barriers at the moment. Can you talk about that uh, and what you see as being the the issue there of actually getting BIM started, getting real BIM started? Right. I alluded to this earlier when I mentioned the broke built culture that we operate in, which is fragmented, adversarial, and paranoid. And we need to replace that culture with a, what I call a smart built culture, which is a culture that is uh, integrated, collaborative, and cooperative. Yep. And in order to do that, we have to alter our legal framework this old design bid build framework that we have delivered planning design and construction services through is broken and it needs to be replaced with a new legal framework that will support the BIM tools, this virtual planning and design process on the one hand. And 
what we now know to be very effective lean processes that the manufacturing industry has leveraged extensively. We need to bring those into the construction industry in the uh, delivery phase when we're actually constructing and building things. And in order to do that, we really need to move to a, in the project phase, it would be classic IPD, that's short for integrated project delivery. Yep. And there's a good bit of uh, work that's been done and a lot of good papers out there on how to achieve integrated project delivery on a project basis. Mm -hmm. But I don't call it IPD. I call it IPD to the X. And I place the IPD in parentheses with an X power. Right. Above the parentheses. Yeah, yeah. And then I say that what we're talking about is the formation of integrated, innovative, and informed individuals and teams capable of planning, curing, producing, and ultimately uh, processing operations and maintenance within the facility that is designed, delivered, and and is associated with decisions that are made by that integrated team. So you see, I've got all these, there's a whole string of I words, words that begin with I, a whole string of words that begin with P, and a whole string of words that begin with D, but we put IPD to the X. And the reason that I say that it needs to be IPD to the X is because we need to get away from this idea of simply focusing on the project and we've got to move to a place where we have a uh, a vision of the life cycle of the facility and this is where the BIM piece really comes into its own and can become quite powerful yeah if we if we back up just a little bit and we think about the way the economy is evolving In 1850, over 90% of the people on the planet were involved in the production of food. By 1950, just 100 years later, over 90% of the labor force was involved in the production of things. We didn't stop making food. We started making food much more efficient. By 2050, we are going to have completed another revolutionary cycle and we are going to have transformed the economy from a industrial economy where 90% of the labor force produces things and we will be in a full-blown knowledge economy where 90% of the workforce is involved in the leveraging of knowledge mm-hmm that is available through this massive amount of information, terabytes and terabytes of data are coming online every day in this information age. And what we need to do with respect to our facilities and the infrastructure that supports our facilities is we need to segregate that 
uh, flow of information. If you'll imagine all of the information on the internet, everything's available in the cloud now, and all of this information about a BIM that's associated with a particular facility or a particular home will be part of that ocean of data. But you want to extract your data from that ocean. And I used to talk about, you know, a teacup of information that was really small at the beginning of a BIM project, and then it became a bucket, and then it became a bigger tank, and then it became a, a giant tank. And I, I don't use that analogy anymore. I use the analogy of an aqueduct because I don't want our data segregated in and silos or locked up in containers. I want our data to flow. Mm -hmm. And we need to begin at the beginning with the owner. And this is where a custom home builder and a good designer who sit down with a owner and engage them in the conversation about what you really want out of your home. Mm. This is where you can really begin. This is developing the program. Okay. If we're building a new hospital, you know, our designer and our general contractor are going to sit down with the director of surgery and the director of nursing, and they're going to have a detailed conversation with those folks about the business purpose of the nursing station, the business purpose of the operating room. And in the uh, hospital setting, the business purpose is to keep people alive, mm -hmm. <laughs> save lives and, and, and everything. So, so there's, a, there's a really high business purpose there. The, 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 the purpose of your home is, is, is really important to the people who are building that home. And they need to be involved in the programming of that home. And That's the beauty it. of this do you, is do you, you can think, do it virtually. Do you think that at the moment, the current structure, the, the, the purpose of the building is important to the people who are building the home? It ought to be. It ought to be. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, the homeowner is paying you a bunch of money for it, yeah. right? So you ought to be interested in delivering uh, a home to that individual that meets their needs and fulfills the the purpose that they have for it. Yeah, and it, and it's it's more intimate than the relationship between a corporation and its facility. Mm, mm. But the beauty of this is that that you can really dig down into the the details of what a homeowner wants yeah yeah uh, yeah you know i think i think it's a very very powerful tool uh that 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 is going to uh literally it's going to revolutionize the way we the way we uh create our living spaces you know there's the 3d printers that are coming down the pipe yeah yeah i just posted one a picture of one of those on uh, facebook the other day yeah i mean the, the things that you can do if we begin to, uh, you want to talk about custom home right now, earlier we alluded to the fact that most custom home builders actually just have three or four templates. Yeah. But a true custom home builder who's able to print, you know, an inspired specific request on a uh, 3D CNS machine that either 
uh, excretes the product and builds it up in a in a 3D form like a mold, you know, in, in more of a uh, a molded process. Yeah. Or you can ins- you can put it on a lathe and spin it, and you can cut away the material. Yeah. You know, to to wind up with, but either way, you can just plug that data into the machine, and it produces it. Yeah. It all and, comes back to information. Yeah, it all comes back to the information. It's you know you can you can have so much more control. Um, we can build uh, modularly now in ways that were never fathomable before. Mm, mm. Um, we can have a uh, a Lego set delivered on site, and we can you know plug a house together, you know, in a very short period of time. The, I posted on the blog a, a 3D printer machine that's going to print an entire concrete home. Yeah, I'll, I'll put up a link to that because I had a look at that. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great little uh, video. It explains the, process, the, the possibilities of the process. And, and really, because uh, when you say 3D printing a house, people, I think, think whether well, that sounds crazy. But this, you can actually see how it might work. Um, Joe's we're just about out of time, but um, the, a lot of what you've talked about at a high level makes absolute sense about collaborating early on, spending more time developing, uh, building virtually before you build physically. I can imagine a, an architect or a builder or even a homeowner here in, in New Zealand thinking, that's all pretty overwhelming. Where do I start? And as a as someone in the in the building industry who wants to just create a better home for themselves, but also someone who wants to maybe influence their little sphere, how do people get started on this journey? I think it's it it is a bit tough because there just aren't very many um, innovators in the industry right now who can help guide you down this path. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would suggest is that um, the if there are designers who are interested in having uh, this type of uh, process uh, emerge in their construction community, that they should reach out to the constructors and begin to discuss engage in the conversation on a cross-disciplinary basis. Yeah. So talking to bring, builders and trades and other people. Bring Yeah. Bring everybody together for a couple of little events where you discuss the possibility and you discuss how it might work. Yeah. Um, we're, we're a lot more similar than, than we know. Um, when you, when you delve into this, you'll just, you know, I have a, legal agreement that I use as a template, as a starting point for the sophisticated teams that I help craft integrated agreements. And that instrument is really not that much different than the custom home builder agreement I drafted for a client 10 years ago. Right. Um, You know, I drafted a strategic alliance agreement for a custom home builder and several trade contractors who wanted to work together on a regular basis. And I said, well, why are we leaving the designers on the sideline? Let's get them in here. Right. Yeah. And so we, 
we put a strategic alliance agreement together for this custom home builder. And he said, you know, I'm always going to use one of these three architects. I'm always going to use one of these two plumbers. Mm. I'm always going to use one of these two electricians. Well, then let's go ahead and get them on board. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. And you don't know who the homeowner is going to be yet, but you can bring an integrated team to the table as a built industry professional. There's nothing preventing you from building those relationships in advance. Yep. So yep. that's one thing I would say. And then I would say, you know, that you want to, I think it's a, it's a differentiator. It's a market, a marketing uh, advantage to be able to say to owners, Hey, I already work with a designer as a builder. Let's sit down together and let's take a virtual tour of some of the things we've done in the past. Yep. Yeah. Hey, look, we, we're just about out of time. Um, you got uh, a book recommendation for us? Um, yeah, I will. Uh, I'll plug my good friend, uh, Fineth Jernigan. He has written a very good primer for designers and constructors who are interested in BIM. It's right. called Big, Big BIM, Little BIM. Yep. Uh, and that's a, uh, a great book book to to lay hands on and find it does a good job of laying out this theoretical difference between what he calls big bim which is all the data and all of the analysis and little bim which is sort of what we do today you know down in the weeds is just trying to produce a virtual uh, 3d image of the documents that are required to deliver this right. scope of work today. Right. So it sounds like a uh, good, good resource of, of sort of showing the way from getting where we are now to where we, where we could be to your, uh, something close to what your daughter might uh, be um, appreciative of. A little more impressed with. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, now also in terms of marketing, we could talk a, a whole heap more about, uh, yourself and because you're all over the um, the web in various forms, done a great job of uh, of getting out there. Where, where can people find you? Um, the uh, main place is at my blog, which is uh, just the Collaborative Construction blog. Uh, the I regularly post there, um, and that's probably the best place to to, to follow. Yep. what's going on and that's where i'll be posting information about this upcoming built smart built culture initiative that we're working on so and you've also got some you've got some exciting stuff happening um at various universities uh, around the world which um you've mentioned on there and you you've got a, a newsletter that people can subscribe to as well if they want to hear more yes yes there's a collaborative construction newsletter there's uh I am delivering some smart built uh, culture pieces for universities. I'm delivering a piece for Middlesex University. They have a BIM strategy course. And I've recently begun talks with Deacon. Uh, uh, is it Deacon? Deacon, yep, in Australia. University in Australia. Yep. There's a, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Charmaine Ferguson there is responsible for developing their BIM curriculum. And uh, 
we're in, we've had some conversations about uh, maybe adapting what I've done for Middlesex for use there and Calgary University in Canada. So lots of, lots of stuff going on. And, and I think the, um, the, the takeout from that for me is that it's going on at the same time in all those places around the world, which is, is great for, for everyone really. Uh, and, and important that we always remember that, that this stuff is happening in a similar way and there are more similarities and there are differences to, to the problems that we're facing, but also the opportunities that we've got around this uh, a better way of building basically. I, what's interesting to me is that we have the opportunity now to form an integrated team that is global mm -hmm. in scale. Yeah. And you can tap the expertise of a designer or a uh, specialist in energy and someone with the expertise in energy analysis, a lawyer, uh, you know, an accounting firm that's done the specialized accounting for an integrated team on a complex project. I mean, literally you can form an international integrated team that can collaborate and coordinate their activities online and bring a virtual structure to that moment in time when it's ready to be launched. Now, ultimately you, you know, all real estate is local and you have to build a building on a parcel in a specific location on the planet. Yeah. But you can do a tremendous amount uh, of collaboration and coordination over the web uh, through virtual meetings and the exchange of files. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Hey, thank you very much for your time today, James. I look forward to the um, developments in, in your near future, um, some of the exciting projects you're working on, but also where uh, the whole world of BIM might take us. And it certainly um, painted a, a, a bit of a image there for us today and a bit of a window into the future, which I think will be beneficial for, for everyone. So thank you very much for your time and uh, we'll keep in touch. Excellent. Absolutely. Well, there you go. That was James L. Salmon from Collaborative Construction Resources. And I'll put all the links up to his organization, some of the things that he's been up to and is working on at the moment, some of the exciting projects he's working on uh, in the show notes so that you can follow James and uh, get some more ideas. What are your thoughts on BIM and uh, the the collaboration of the 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 building process in New Zealand. Um, obviously, James has spent a lot of time in quite large construction projects, but what what sort of learning do you think that we can take from that uh, perception of a fragmented industry, adversarial industry, and a paranoid industry? Does that does that happen in the building space, in the in the residential building space? I think there are certainly elements of that, and I think we can learn from people like James, who's who's actually benefited from those conflicts in the past, but is now saying, look, there's got to be a better way of doing this uh, for, for everyone so that everyone comes out much better. So, um, yep, I think there's some really great insights there. Uh, as James said, we've got a, we've got a, a little way to go. Um, but, yeah, interested in, in what your thoughts are on all of that. And what do you think about 3D printing? Is that a, is that a goer for houses, do you think? 
Love to get your thoughts, comments at homestylegreen.com. You can email me there. And of course, we'd also love to get your comments over in iTunes. If you do enjoy the show, if you find it useful, love to get a rating or a little review on iTunes, and that does help people find out about the show and uh, increase the size of our audience and the size of our tribe. So thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Do get in touch if you've got questions or if you've got ideas about what you'd like to listen to or hear more about. In the meantime, go make a better place to live.